Thank you, thank you. That's awesome. Can we just uh, give Pastor Tom a round of applause? We're just so happy that he's back. Can I just raise this mic a little bit, please? Thank you. So I have a question for you guys. Um, have you ever just planned something out and it totally just flops? Just does not go the way that you wanted it to go at all? Yeah, it happens to me more than I'd like to admit. But anyway, so there's this one time. I was a freshman in high school, right? Starting high school out. And there was this girl. And Trish, if you could just cover your ears for the rest of this story, please. That'd be awesome. <laughs> there was this girl that had the biggest crush on, like some serious, serious puppy love stuff. It was bad. So after, you know, a couple months of, you know, awkward waving and 30-second conversations, like, oh, wow, you breathe air, too. Like, we have so much in common. This is awesome. <laughs> I finally got the nerve to ask her on a date. And God bless her, she actually said yes. So being a freshman in high school, I wanted to take her to the coolest and hippest place that I knew of at the time, and that's the Willowbrook Mall. A really nice place. <laughs> But before we get into the details of our date, I want to uh, I want to let you know a little something about myself. I'm what I like to call a low-key romantic, a low-key romantic. And for those of you for those of you who don't know what that is, which I'm assuming is everyone, because I literally just made that up. A low-key romantic is a guy who, or it could be a girl too, but for this purpose, it's a guy who on the outside, you know, he looks like your regular dude. You know, he likes being outside, sports, hunting, you know, pizza, wings. It's pretty sad. The only two things I do on that list is eat pizza and wings. But, uh, you know, he looks like your regular guy on the outside. But on the inside, he's a John Green. And that's the guy who wrote the notebook for any of y'all who don't know. He's a John Green. He's a modern-day Shakespeare. He loves the idea of love, right? And some of you guys might be, you just, you just find it out now, like, wow, I am a low-key romantic. I do love long walks on the beach and, you know, <laughs> you know don't, don't just sit there and look at me like, like, you guys, you know, your wife puts a movie on and you've never gotten into it. You know, like, you're just sitting there and you're like, all these chick flicks are all the same, whatever. You know, eventually, like, as the movie goes on, you're, like, forming an emotional bond with these characters. Like, Ryan, no, like, don't leave her. Like, she needs you. Like, don't go. And then you're, like, you're wiping tears from your eyes at the big kiss scene and your wife, like, nudges you. You're like, are you okay? And you're like, yeah, I just need to change the air filter, the allergy season. <laughs> but anyway, back to the date, so... So I decided to take her out um, for dinner. We were going to go to the Cheesecake Factory. Any fans in the house, Cheesecake Factory? Crusted Chicken Romano, my jam. Lemon, key Lime Cheesecake. Not really, not a lot of people like the Key Lime Cheesecake. I like it. But. So we go to Cheesecake Factory, and being the low-key romantic that I am, I had a plan for this date, right? I wanted to make it really special. This was like my first big date. So I decided I would buy her 11 roses and one chocolate rose. So 11 real roses and one chocolate rose. Right. I'll explain the chocolate rose in a minute. But so I get to the Cheesecake Factory a little earlier. You know, I wanted to get the table ready. So I give the roses to the host. And I'm like, hey, can you just hide this for me? You know, like I don't want to just be at the table with, with flowers. So if you just hide this for me, you know, I have a really big date tonight. I'm really excited. She's like, oh, yeah, no problem. So she hides the, the roses under the, the host stand. And then I, as the waiter comes over, and he's like, oh, can I get you anything to drink? I'm like, yeah. And by the way, like, I have something special planned. Like, when we ask for the check, can you just bring those roses over for me? He's like, absolutely, bro, I got you. I'm like, okay, cool. So, you know, we're sitting down. I got chicken fingers. 
and she got nothing. So it just made it really awkward. I'm just eating, and she's just looking at me. <laughs> so so as, the, as the meal goes on, you know, it's, it's going pretty good. So then I ask for the check, and the waiter brings the flowers over, and I immediately notice something is terribly wrong. There's no chocolate rose. He only has the 11 real roses, so I'm like, oh, what am I going to do? So he gives me the roses, and I'm like, oh, man. And let me explain to you why this is such a big deal that he didn't have the chocolate rose. My plan here, this is what I had planned out. I was going to give her the 11 real roses, and then she'd be like, oh, these are so beautiful. Thank you so much. And then I was going to hit her with this hallmark line as I uh, hand her the chocolate rose. Be like, you know, those roses will eventually fade away but I'll love you until this chocolate rose dies. Thank you. Guys, you can, you can write that down if you want to. It's pretty good. It's pretty good. <laughs> so needless to say, I ended up just giving her an incomplete bouquet of flowers, and I'm assuming a hostess got a pretty nice snack during her shift. So <laughs> still don't know what happened to that chocolate rose. But yeah. So needless to say, everything that we plan out isn't necessarily going to go our way, right? Thankfully, God is a much better planner than we are, and he's not super cheesy. So that's always good, too. So if you all have a Bible on you, you can uh, turn with me to Exodus chapter 14. I've entitled my message this morning, God's Plans, Following Jesus When It Doesn't Make Sense. Following Jesus When It Doesn't Make Sense. I believe this is a really timely and relevant word for our church, as Pastor Tom was saying. Um, I'm really, really excited to preach it to you guys today. And um, just a little recap before we get reading. Up to this point in our journey through Exodus, you know, the, the Israelites are finally out of Egypt, right? They just got released. Pharaoh's like, okay, you guys can go. And God's leading them toward the Red Sea at this point, right? Are you all with me, Exodus 14? Can we get an amen on that? Awesome. Okay, I'll be starting in verse 1. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. I'm pretty sure um, they'll be up on the boards too. So, Verse 1 says this. Then the Lord gave these instructions to Moses. Order the Israelites to turn back and camp by Pi-Hahiroth. Okay, we're going to go ahead and call that P-Town from now on, just for pronunciation's sake. Is that all right with everyone? All right, cool. Order the Israelites to turn back and camp by P-Town between Migdal and the sea. Camp there along the shore across from Balzaphon. Then Pharaoh will think, the Israelites are confused. They are trapped in the wilderness. Father God, we just bless the reading of your word. God, I ask that you would just come and fill me with your presence, God, that you would just speak through me, that there would not be my words, but your words speaking through me. In your name we pray, amen. So I want to just draw your attention to uh, four truths about God's plans this morning. So if you're a note taker, this is definitely your cue. You want to start your outline here. First truth about God's plans is that they don't always make sense. God's plans don't always make sense. Can I get an amen to that? Anyone relate to that? Sometimes it seems like the roads that God leads us down are just straight up wrong, right? We think we can do it better ourselves most of the time. And that's exactly what the Israelites were thinking here. It turns out that the place that God was telling them to go, P-Town, it's exactly the opposite way of where they were already traveling. Can you imagine the backlash that Moses got when he had to make that announcement? Ah, yeah, you know, we've been traveling down this road, guys, but... uh, Turns out we have to go that way now, you know, just uh, totally opposite. But it gets worse. Not only are they turning, not only are they turning around and traveling the same road twice, 
This route geographically boxed the Israelites in. You know, on one side was the Red Sea. On the other side was just vast wilderness that they couldn't travel. And directly in front of them was a huge mountain range. So it seemed like God led them down a dead end. Maybe that's where you're at this morning in your relationship with God. You feel like you're at a dead end. Like you've been praying, you've been praying, you've been praying, and it just seems like God's not listening to you. Like your prayers are just falling on deaf ears. And you're thinking, you know, maybe this God thing, you know, it's not for me. It's just not working out. I'm not spiritual enough. But I'll tell you something right now. If God brought you somewhere, he's faithful, and he's bringing you through it right here and right now. I'm believing for breakthroughs this morning. See, the thing about God is he defies our logic. And I think this is where a lot of us get hung up, right? We try and put God in a human box without even thinking about it. I mean, honestly, take a good look at your perception of God right now. Do you try and make him think the way that we do as a human? Or do you try and give him human emotions or put our reactions on him? But God is so much bigger than what our minds can comprehend. And even when it makes no sense to us in our human minds, the God who created everything is working everything out according to his sovereign plans. And when we understand that God is for us, right, he's on our side, he's not against us, that's when we can begin to trust him, even when we don't understand what he's doing, because we know his heart for us. We know that, you know, God, you're not going to lead me somewhere that's going to hurt me. You have, you have me in mind. You have the best thoughts about me possible. See, this dead end that the Israelites were facing wasn't a dead end at all. And maybe that's true for your life. You know, the thing that you think, you're like, God, why are you bringing me through this? I can't see. I can't connect the dots here. It's not a dead end at all. This was an orchestrated path of deliverance that God deliberately planned out for the Israelites to take. God led them to this place by the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire. They were exactly where they needed to be, in a place where they can't rely on their own strength. They can't rely on Moses' leadership skills. They can only rely on God. God's plans don't always make sense to us, and that's okay. Second truth about God's plans is that they're always made in advance. God's plans are always made in advance. That's pretty comforting, right? You know, it's nice to know God's not always, like, shooting from the hip, like, oh, yeah, that guy, I, I got to wake him up today. Like, <laughs> he, needs, he needs to breathe today. No, God knows exactly what he's doing, and everything he does has a purpose. Let's read on uh, in chapter 14, starting in verse 4. Verse 4 says this, And once again, I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will chase after you. I want you to remember that. Once again, I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will chase after you. I have planned this in order to display my glory through Pharaoh and his whole army. After this, the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. So the Israelites camped there, as they were told. When, when word reached the king of Egypt that the Israelites had fled, Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds. What have we done letting all these Israelite slaves get away, they asked. So Pharaoh harnessed his chariot and called his troops. He took with him 600 of Egypt's best chariots, along with the rest of the chariots in Egypt, each with its commander. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, so he chased after the people of Israel, who had left with fists raised in defiance. Then, then the Egyptians chased after them with all the forces in Pharaoh's army, all his horses and chariots, his charioteers, and his troops. The Egyptians caught up with the people of Israel as they were camped beside the shore near P-Town across Baal Zephon. As Pharaoh approached, the people of Israel looked up and panicked when they saw the Egyptians overtaking them. Man, Pharaoh just does not give up. 
this guy seriously <laughs> has some problems. Like, I don't know about you guys, but once I saw, like, the locusts and all that, I'd be like, you know, you, you're good. Like, have the Israelites, like, take these bugs with you. Like, I don't want <laughs> But when I first read through this scripture, the first question was, God, what were you thinking here? Have you ever asked that, you know, as you're reading through the Bible? Like, God, like, what's going on here? This really, like, makes no sense to me. The Israelites were home free. Like, as we were talking about before, they already left Egypt. They're, they're free people. That's it. Case closed. There's no more slave labor. There's no more Pharaoh. They're free. So what's the point in hardening Pharaoh's heart again and sending him after the Israelites? I don't get it. You know, it says in that first verse that we read, verse 4, that God did it to display his glory through Pharaoh and through his army. That kind of seems a little bit excessive, right? Like, you really needed to display glory like that? Like, they were already out. Like, what? I don't get it. But then I realized that's what this is all about, guys. Our lives, our spirit, our souls, bringing glory to God is exactly what we were created to do. We're created to worship, and we're going to worship something whether we realize it or not. It's going to be God or something else in this world. It's going to be your job, maybe your relationship, yourself, your money, whatever it is. And the thing I realized is that God had to break the Israelites' thought pattern that they developed during their time in Egypt. They had a slave mentality. And God had to show them that Pharaoh doesn't deserve your glory. He doesn't deserve your worship. He's not your provider. I am. We're not slaves to fear or anything else in this world. We're children of God. And maybe that's what God has to do in your mind this morning. Maybe you have a slave mentality. Maybe you've been through some stuff that you're like, God, you just, you don't want any part of this. You don't want anything to do with me. But God does. He sees you as one of his children, a son or a daughter in his name. And he's calling you out of that slavery. He's calling you out of those strongholds that have dominance over your life. He's more powerful than that. You see, God had to teach the Israelites a lesson. And this lesson is the basis of everything. If you get nothing out of this, remember this in your life. God is stronger than whatever Satan can throw at you. Whatever stronghold is claiming dominance over your life this morning, God is sovereign over it. You see, God purposely sent Pharaoh after the Israelites to defeat him in a miraculous way, a way that could only be traced back to the hand of God himself. I find the descriptions of verse 7 pretty interesting. You see, Pharaoh got his best troops, his best equipment, his best commanders, and came at the Israelites with everything that he had. You know, it's like God wanted to leave no room for doubt that he was the one who was saving them. Because, you know, there's always that guy. Well, you know, I mean, it wasn't necessarily God. I mean, we, we kind of did all right ourselves. I mean, I killed, like, at least five Egyptians, so that counts for something. Don't be that guy ever, please. No, God planned all of this out with divine purpose, and he's doing the same thing in your life today. Amen? Third truth about God's plans is that they don't need our help. They need our obedience. God's plans do not need our help. They need our obedience. Let's read on starting in verse 13, chapter 14. Verse 13 says this. But Moses told the people, don't be afraid. Just stand still and watch the Lord rescue you today. The Egyptians you see today will never be seen again. The Lord himself will fight for you. Just stay calm. Then the Lord said to Moses, this is the cool part. Why are you crying out to me? Tell the people to get moving. Pick up your staff and raise your hand over the sea. Divide the water so the Israelites can walk through the middle of the sea on dry ground. 
So we're kind of nearing the climax of our story here. Pharaoh and the Egyptians are bearing down on the Israelites, and they need to make a move here. But I want to point out to you four parts of God's instructions to Moses to the Israelites. So through Moses to the Israelites. The first thing Moses told the Israelites is don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. You see, as children of God, fear has no place in our hearts. The scripture tells us that God's perfect love casts out all fear. So if you have God in your heart, if you have God's love in your heart, if his spirit's in you, fear has no hold of your life. It has no authority over who you are. When you find your identity in Christ, fear can't touch you. Satan can't touch you. Nothing that he does will ever prosper in your life. So the first thing he says, don't be afraid. Second thing, stand still. And this is better translated as stand firm. He's telling the Israelites to have faith and be confident that God will deliver them. You know, maybe you're putting your faith in something else other than God. But use this as a reminder. The only thing that could ever stand the test of time is God and his promises to you. So we need to stand firm on who we know God to be and stand firm and know that he is faithful and he will deliver us. The third thing Moses says is watch. Moses says, watch the Lord rescue you. You don't need to fight. He doesn't need your help. Just stay out of it. Stay out of the way and watch him work in your life. And the fourth thing he says is to stay calm. He's telling the Israelites just to keep quiet and keep their peace. Like Brother Carl was saying, be still in the Lord and know that he's good. It's pretty interesting to notice that these four commands are directed toward our natural responses to panic as humans, right? Think about it. When something crazy happens in your life, how do you respond to it? First, we're afraid, right? It's not normal, so we're naturally scared of it. Second, we run. Third, maybe running's not working, so we try to fight it. Fourth, we tell anyone who will listen, right? So that's why he says stay calm. Just keep your peace about it. Then, this is, this is where it gets good. God speaks to Moses, right? He's like, guys, what are you doing? These people are literally going to kill you. Stop praying. Get moving, You see, there's a season for prayer and rest in your life, and that's great. Don't get me wrong, but we can't camp out there. We can't neglect the time where we need to start moving and start being productive for God. You know, it's almost as though God already told Moses what to do, but he wanted to pray about it some more because, you know, the answer was kind of uncomfortable. Anyone been there before? I mean, you're praying hard about something, and God answers you, and that's not really what you wanted, so you kind of go deaf a little bit, and you're like, God, you didn't really say that, right? (laughs) You keep praying about it. But I don't really blame Moses for his doubt. I mean, look at what God wants him to do. This is crazy. You know, if we really believe that every word in the Bible is true, this isn't just some story. Like, these people literally cross through a sea on dry ground. And this is what God told Moses to do. He says, raise your hand over the sea. Divide the water so the Israelites can walk through the middle of the sea on dry ground. What? They talk about easier said than done. This thing is, the thing is though, no matter how much it doesn't make sense to us in our human minds, if it's God, it's God. It doesn't matter. He's planned this all out for a reason in its entirety, and all he needs from us is obedience. He's already gave us the path to go down. We just need to walk it. And the fourth truth about God's plans is that they're not limited to the natural. God is a supernatural God. Now let's see what happens when Moses obeys God's plan, starting in uh, verse 21. It says this, Then Moses raised his hand over the sea, and the Lord opened up a path through the water with a strong east wind. 
The wind blew all night, turning the seabed into dry land. So the people of Israel walked through the middle of the sea on dry ground with walls of water on each side. And this is one of those Bible stories that a lot of people, you know, they try and explain it away by natural phenomena. They, they say, oh, you know, God didn't really move in that. It was just like, you know, it was just the way the earth was at that time. You know, it just happened naturally. And one popular theory about this is that God didn't really split the sea. The Israelites just passed through at like a shallow part. You know, the tide was out. So they just, you know, oh, this looks good. Let's just pass here. But the problem with that theory, and this is a really big problem, is that if they really did just pass through the shallow end of the sea, how did all of the Egyptians end up drowning, right? It says that the waters crashed over them as the Egyptians were running after them. So how did they end up drowning if they just passed through a shallow part of the sea, right? No, there are about three and a half million Israelites here at this time. They needed a much bigger passageway than just a shallow part of the sea, you know, scripture doesn't really give us the exact width that God opened the sea, but this is pretty interesting to think about. If they were to go double file or, you know, side by side, two at a time through the Red Sea, that double file line would have to be 800 miles long. 800 miles. And it would take them 35 days and nights to get through. Yeah, but we do know that the Israelites passed through in one night, so, you know, there has to be another explanation here. So we see that they had to have a space. God had to open up a space in the Red Sea that was three miles wide. Have any of you run a 5K before, a 5K race? That's three miles. So you could literally, say all the Israelites are lined up here, you could literally start your race here, run three miles, and you'll be at the end of their line there. Three miles wide. So that means that the Israelites could pass through 5,000 side by side by side by side times 5,000. They could pass through 5,000. That's the only way that the Israelites could get through the Red Sea in one night. So God is not contained by our natural world. I'm just going to ask the worship team to come forward at this time. He's the creator of this world. He's not confined by it. You know, how crazy are we to try and explain God's miracles away just because we don't understand them? Right? It's, it's pretty, pretty selfish. We think a lot of ourselves. The thing I want you to get out of all this, if nothing else, is this. Even when it doesn't make sense in our minds as humans, God is still God. You know, if you're a Christian this morning, that means you've already made the decision to trust God for your salvation. But let's be honest here. How often do we stop trusting him there? How often do we stop trusting God at the point of salvation? Like, God, you're good for all that salvation stuff, but, I mean... This inner part of me, it's, I'm not ready to trust you with that. Like, you're getting too close here. I'm not ready to give you all of me. You know, maybe God is calling you to go deeper in trust and intimacy with him. Go past the surface, right? Find out more about who God is. Yeah, you know that he, he saves you from your sins. Yeah, you, you got all that basic stuff, and that's really good to revisit. But you need to go deeper than that. You need to understand why you're here. There's a purpose. Maybe you haven't made that step yet. You haven't, you haven't made the decision to trust God yet, and that's, that's fine. But I just want to point this out to you. This will be the only decision that ever matters. When it comes down to it, no one's going to care where you worked. No one's going to care where you went to school. It doesn't matter who makes your clothes. It doesn't matter how much money you have. The only thing that's going to matter is who you trust with your soul. 
And I just want to encourage you just to reflect on that as we uh, just worship together with this last song.